0: in response to going on a low-carb diet, my cholesterol went very high. Even existing lipidologists won't say that cholesterol alone causes the problem. It needs to get oxidized, or the particles that carry it, they need to get modified. There needs to be some additional components that make it happen. The more lean and or fit you are, the more likely you'll see your LDL cholesterol go up. But on top of that, the more likely you'll see your HDL, the good cholesterol go up substantially Hmm. and your triglycerides go down. They actually may be enjoying a higher level of natural autophagy, are in kind of a blended fasted state. Wow. More relative to somebody who is not a lean mass hyper responder and therefore may actually be aging a little
1: less. Wow. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, Friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body Mind Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host Seemland, and our guest is Dave Feldman. Dave is a senior engineer and an entrepreneur who has taken the medical world by storm with his thought-provoking and revolutionary N equals one experiments with cholesterol and the low-carb, high-fat diet. He runs the website CholesterolCode.com and he has improved the understanding of what's the role of cholesterol in the human body and how does it affect our health dave i'm uh, glad that you could make it to the podcast and uh, welcome to the show
0: yeah thanks for having me
1: yeah i'm um, like after i started researching about you and your work then uh, i myself have learned so much about the cholesterol and it really is you've done a magnific- magnificent work in this uh, field of uh, health and medicine so i want to thank you for initially for that as well but uh, i think like everyone also wants to know how did you get involved with uh, researching cholesterol as an engineer
0: uh yeah well it's um the story is fairly straightforward i had an a1c of 6.1 for two years in a row and on the second year when i got that they said well they'd like to just keep monitoring uh, as in, let's see what your A1C looks like next year. And I said, well, given, given type 2 diabetes is a concern of mine, since it's rampant on my dad's side of the family, I'd like to do something about it. Mm. So I researched and learned about the low-carb uh, ketogenic diet, and I decided to go ahead and go on it. And uh, fairly quickly, I recognized that there were a lot of other benefits to the diet that I really appreciated, and my dad and my sister got inspired. They ended up doing it at the same time. Well, seven and a half months later, I get my first cholesterol score, and I find out I'm what's known inside the low-carb community as a hyper-responder, as in, uh, in response to going on a low-carb diet, my cholesterol went very high. Hmm. And from there, I started researching and found that I saw some familiar patterns uh, for me in the software world, as far as it being a possible network uh, that manages and moves around our cholesterol. And uh, I then started doing a lot of self-experiments to manipulate those numbers uh, to find out if indeed it was what I thought it was, which was primarily about energy distribution, particularly fat-based energy distribution. And um, from there, we're we're here about two and a half years later, I've done a crazy, stupid amount of experiments. I've had about 88 blood draws, sorry, 89 blood draws uh, up to this point. And that doesn't even count the uh, cardio check. Uh, blood draws I've, I've definitely seen my lipid numbers well over 100 times at this point for various purposes
1: mm, yeah that's crazy like uh, I've also rec- recognized this sort of a pattern that a lot of uh, physicians or, or engineers they get involved into the field of medicine and health because of some you know health problems themselves and like you know Marty Kendall and uh, John Kiefer and you they're kind of pioneering the <laughs> the field of low-carb dieting almost. But uh, yeah, yeah, let's maybe like start talking about the uh, cholesterol. You know, for decades it's been said that it causes heart disease and it's gonna clog your arteries. That egg sandwich could have killed you by cholesterol. What is cholesterol and uh, what role does it play in the human body?
0: Well, cholesterol uh, is an organic molecule. It's found uh, just with the animal kingdom. You won't find it in plants. And uh, it's, it's very special because it's literally a part of every single cell in your body. It makes up a portion of the membrane. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of what I like to think of as sort of like the studs in the walls of your house. Mm. They give a very important structural component that if you didn't have it, your, your house would fall apart as would your cells without cholesterol. Uh, but on top of that, it's used for other things like uh, sex hormones, uh, like bile acid, um, it's a precursor for uh, vitamin D, for example. Um, and it's, uh, it's in a way, it's almost like, you almost have to ask, what is it not used for? <laughs> it's, used, it's such a Swiss army knife within the body for so many important functions.
1: Mm, that's, that's true. Yeah, like I also believe, like, uh, it's, like you mentioned, it's part of the hormonal production and testosterone in particular is uh, very linked to cholesterol levels, I think. And uh, I've definitely noticed, like, after go- have, having gone on to a high, high-fat diet with, you know, plenty of eggs and cholesterol, then I've noticed that my sex drive and the libido is definitely higher than on a low, low-fat diet previously. But uh, how does it affect your health? In terms of, you know, the, like, does it clog your arteries like people and doctors say?
0: <laughs> well, uh, I try to be a good scientist and not comment on something that I know to not be a fact or to be a fact. Um, so I, I try to coach my terms in saying, I don't know for sure if the lipid hypothesis as presented by Ansel Keys is wrong or right. What I will say is that the case for it is surprisingly weak. So, in general, if you were to believe that cholesterol clogs your arteries, then you have to already be kind of coming at it from the plumbing standpoint, where you would expect that your arteries would be clogged all the way throughout, right, just like you would see. For example, you don't, if, if you look at um, pipes uh, that have gotten clogged, they typically don't get clogged in just one spot, and then are otherwise clean and perfect, All throughout the rest of the piping system, right? What you usually find is that it distributes to a certain point throughout the piping system. Well that's not what we see with thrombosis within uh, arteries and the pathogenesis as it's called for what happens with atherosclerosis uh, tends to um, follow patterns that they cannot fully explain but certainly have a component that seems to be associated with damage or dysfunction to the cells that line the uh, walls of the vessels, um, otherwise known as endothelial cells. So when they are dysfunctional, when they are damaged, or when there seems to be some level of, I guess you can almost say mischief associated with like oxidative stress and so forth, Uh, I'm kind of simplifying it a bit, but basically that's a lot of where we see the problems occur. And in that sense, um, even existing lipidologists won't say that cholesterol alone causes the problem. It needs to get oxidized or the particles that carry it, they need to get modified. There needs to be some additional components that make it happen.
1: Hmm. Yeah, like uh, what I've also found is that uh, in research that uh, it's not the cholesterol that is going to cause, the cholesterol isn't the underlying issue, the issue is that, like you mentioned, oxidative stress and the inflammation that is going to be created by it, and the way I understand it is that like cholesterol is like a firefighter that is going to co- go into the scar tissue and it's actually trying to heal it, like uh, cholesterol itself is almost like an anti-inflammatory that... Uh, rip, tries to repair the damage because of the high amounts of oxidative stress. And you know there are other sources. that The underlying or the root cause is inflammation and uh, oxidative stress. So maybe like cholesterol can be thought of like an antioxidant almost.
0: I, it's it's certainly something for which it's easy to create an association if all you're looking for is associations. Right. So if you're right. looking for fires, you're going to find firemen, <laughs> and you're going to find fire trucks. And then you can, if you know nothing more about it, if you're an alien you know, uh, above the world and you're, just a, you're observing all places where there's smoke and there's fire, hey, there's also these guys who seem to be causing the problem because they're always around, mm. right? Mm. And sure enough, we seem to find their fire hose water all around where these fires were, right? So if we could just get rid of all of the firemen and the fire trucks, then we wouldn't have a problem. Uh, You could apply the same thing to hospitals. Again, um, I've used this analogy before. You could, if you were an alien from on high, it would look like these uh, creepy white um, uh, creatures with these red pluses on them are just going out and seemingly randomly grabbing different uh, people and bring them back to this kind of hive where a lot of times they will uh, expire shortly afterwards. Mm. So clearly... Both these vehicles and this hive that they're being taken back to are a problem because they have the greatest association with the expiration of these carbon units, right? right? Um, Obviously, I'm using some degree of hyperbole, but in a way I'm not because I'm basically pointing out that without having the additional information that people are calling the hospital, that that's what's ordering the ambulance to come to them, that it's easy to go ahead and make an association of those things being deleterious if you know no more information than that, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. And
0: And that's why, that's why I like to point out over and over again, a damaged endothelial cell does express LDL receptors. Hmm. That is, the lipoproteins that cholesterol is carried in, low-density lipoproteins, it expresses receptors for help to bind to them, right? Right healthy LDL particles. And that suggests that there is in fact a phone call being made specifically to LDL particles to be a part of the process of dealing with this damaged endothelial cell or cells, total in cells. And that may be that there may actually be a point as part of the body to be able to make use of them in some way that may be reparative. Hmm. The problem is, is that there's not as much emphasis on finding out um, what ways in which LDL particles are helpful. Hmm. There's always very much a narrative that you'll see in the uh, literature as to trying to find out how LDL particles are harmful, because hmm. that's what we have a pharmacological solution for. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Like uh, you kind of went headway in this regard. Like, can you like explain also like what's what is an LDL co- particle and uh, what's the difference between HDL?
0: Sure, sure. And uh, uh, to back it up a step further, often when people hear LDL. It's associated with the "quote unquote" bad cholesterol, LDL cholesterol. Uh, sometimes uh, frenetic, the phenom or whatever it is for it, they'll say lousy uh, L. The first L being lousy cholesterol, hmm. HDL being the happy cholesterol or the good cholesterol. Right. But the truth is, the cholesterol between both of them is exactly the same. The only difference is is what particle they're found in. Mm -hmm. And in the case of both of them, it's a kind of lipoprotein, that's that last L in the LDL and the HDL. And a lipoprotein is basically a shortened version of lipid-carrying protein. Mm -hmm. And cholesterol is a lipid. So that protein carries cholesterol, but it also carries something else that's important, uh, uh, triglycerides. Triglycerides are fat-based energy that your body can also use. And that ultimately comes back to why it is that I believe myself and many other people have seen their cholesterol go up, is because their use, their body's use of fat-based energy went up. Hmm. And because carbs have gone down, so less glucose, and fatty acid usage has gone up, brought as triglycerides in these lipoproteins, then it's not surprising that LDL went up. Because the precursor to LDL is something known as VLDL. And that's VLDL's primary job is to provide fatty acid energy to tissues in the form of triglycerides. Mm. So HDL, just real quick, HDL is considered to be the good cholesterol because when people have very high levels of HDL, it's associated with lower cardiovascular disease. And what they found is mechanistically, HDL particles, I often call them kind of like the emergency vehicles of your vascular system, they are going out to the vessel walls and looking for uh, plaque, and actually capturing cholesterol from the plaque and slowly draining it away and bringing it back to um, back to the liver. Ultimately,
1: hmm. yeah, like uh, a lot of people do say that they experience higher levels of cholesterol after they switch over to a low-carb, high-fat diet. Like yeah, they went to go to the doctors, and uh, and the physician is also gonna try to put them on statins, and they're gonna say like, what are you doing this crazy ketosis diet for? Cholesterol. Not interested. Will like eating more fat gonna is it gonna raise your cholesterol? And uh, you probably have like had uh, many experiments in this area.
0: Uh, yes, well, in and, and I really try to emphasize to everybody that what you want to keep a special eye on for is the. Um, those things that associate stronger with cardiovascular disease and especially all-cause mortality. And the one I'm really working at trying to get on everyone's radar is something known as remnant cholesterol. Mm. And as I just mentioned, cholesterol found in a low-density lipoprotein, an LDL, while it's associated weakly with disease, there's something that's strongly associated with disease, and that's the cholesterol found in the VLDLs that I mentioned just a little earlier. Mm -hmm. The VLDLs, like I said, their first job is really to deliver energy to your tissues. That's what they're supposed to be doing. So if they're succeeding at that job, then that seems to be associated with a positive outcome because they're doing what they're supposed to do. But after they drop off their energy, that's when they change to an LDL particle.
1: Hmm.
0: And an LDL particle is more of the support role. It's not about energy delivery. It's about a whole lot of other things. For example, uh, it actually fights disease by binding to pathogens. Um, it can be used for cell growth or for cell repair through endocytosis and so forth. Hmm. Uh, but that that first version, if you find a lot of remnant cholesterol, it means there's kind of a traffic jam of sorts. And oftentimes, it's associated with people who have uh, very high levels of triglycerides because the triglycerides are not leaving those VLDL Particles because there's nowhere to park the energy and that gets highly associated with disease overall
1: hmm. yeah like uh, like you mentioned it's not just one biomarker it's not just cholesterol because i believe like people who tend to have higher levels of cholesterol they also have actually lower lower rates of heart disease and people with lower rates of cholesterol they they're more prone to these kinds of uh cardiovascular diseases so yeah it's definitely a very complex system but, uh, like, w- what if you kind of combine these different fuel sources, let's say, or, li- like, can, can too much, too high cholesterol still become, or can consuming too much fat lead to, you know, dangerous levels of cholesterol? cholesterol?
0: Uh, so, from my perspective, what matters the most is looking at what your triglycerides are, which, of course, track closely to remnant cholesterol because it suggests actual use. Okay. So do I think theoretically you could have um, too much fat to the point where your triglycerides are high and your VLDLs are high and therefore your remnant cholesterol is high? I do, but to hit that overage point, usually you need the addition of carbs as well as fat. Okay. It's actually very, it's very challenging to overeat fat. Um, And I I have a lot of firsthand experience with this, not just in my doing it, but also with other people trying to do my protocol. Um, I don't know how familiar you or your listeners are with my protocol, but basically, it's how I was able to drop my cholesterol substantially in a matter of days is by actually eating a lot of fat. And that brought in the other kind of lipoprotein known as a chylomicron. And the more of those that are coming in, the more it seems the body responds by down regulating the VLDLs. Well, in the process of doing that and eating a lot of fat, you find that you're way over satiated. You just, you can hardly stand eating another bite of, you know, something fatty. So what you normally need in order to achieve, I don't know if I want to say achieve, but in order to end up in the situation where you have high triglycerides, high remnant cholesterol, you usually need the addition of carbs and fat. Right. So when you have a lot of fat and carbs, which is, you know, pretty much the standard American diet, then you can actually achieve getting to higher levels of triglycerides and higher levels of triglycerides are definitely associated with higher levels of cardiovascular disease. Um, so that's, that's a big problem. On top of that, it tends to be associated with lower levels of, uh, high density lipoproteins, the HDL, the so-called good cholesterol.
1: Hmm. So if, if higher, higher triglycerides are associated with heart disease, then, uh, People who are still eating a low-carb, high-fat diet—they do—they still have, you know, higher levels of uh, triglycerides. Or how does the, how does the, how does their lipid lipid profile change, you know, in in uh, completely neglecting carbohydrates and going to a ketogenic diet versus combining high-fat and high-carb? And you know, where where, do, where does, does does insulin have so, some sort of a, you know, uh, contributing factor to where it becomes dangerous or?
0: Uh, For sure. Well, and and you're hitting a few things all at once. Uh, On a low-carb diet, you typically see your triglycerides go down. You typically see your HDL cholesterol go up. Hmm. And both of those are very good signs, and they're much more highly correlated with outcomes than LDL cholesterol. The LDL cholesterol going up or down, per my research, seems to be much more associated with your own body fat and your own Uh, energy usage so the more lean and or fit you are the more likely you'll see your LDL cholesterol go up but on top of that the more likely you'll see your HDL the good cholesterol go up substantially Mm -hmm. and your triglycerides go down and I try to explain this as much as possible if you think about it mechanistically if you think like an engineer this actually makes a lot of sense if you're being powered more by fat And that fat is brought to your tissues in these vehicles, in these chylomicrons if you just ate it from a meal, or in these VLDLs if they're coming from storage. Mm. Then after they drop off their energy, in the case of the VLDLs, that means there's more LDLs, more LDL particles, more LDL cholesterol. But your triglycerides are low. Mm. And if your triglycerides are low, that means the cargo's gone. Right. So you know that it's a it's a trail of success as to why it is you have high LDL and not high triglycerides mm-hmm. and that's why mechanistically it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I use this analogy a lot if you were to uh, if you and I were watching the, um, uh, the the depot of some you know grocery store chain and we're watching the trucks going in and out and I say to you I say, oh my gosh, they have like 100 trucks going in and out of this thing. It just seems like way too many. Hmm. You go, well, Dave, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't doesn't seem like it's too many since I keep seeing them coming back empty, Hmm. as in they're successfully delivering their inventory and coming back. So there must be enough stores that that's where they're dropping it off. Hmm. And then we come back in a few weeks and I go, whoa, it's up to 150 trucks. That's definitely too many. Hmm go, well, I don't know, Dave. I see that they keep coming back empty. <laughs> Maybe they added more stores, right? Mm, right. But mechanistically, the inventory keeps disappearing, suggesting use, suggesting it's actually unless you find some other place where those triglycerides are going. I suspect because you're lean and you're athletic, particularly if you've got much higher energy demands, you're probably burning that fat. And therefore I'm I'm inclined to say it may not matter that much at all what your LDL cholesterol actually is. So long as your triglycerides are low, it suggests higher usage.
1: Right, right. So 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 to recap, if you're if you are, you know, lean, if you are athletic, if you're burning a lot of fat for energy, whether that be from your dietary fat sources or your body fat, then uh, as long as you're you know, getting rid of that energy, then uh, the cholesterol levels don't matter that much in terms of your overall health You know, because you're burning off those triglycerides and not storing them or not flooding them into, into your bloodstream.
0: That's, that's certainly my theory. And thus far, the evidence seems to be mm-hmm. very favorable towards it. So I, I track a number of people that are on the far end of that spectrum, um, which I call lean mass hyper-responders. Mm-hmm. And so they're not just hyper-responders. They're lean mass hypersponders. They tend to have LDL cholesterol levels in the 300, 400 range, uh, at levels that you know doctors are anxious to like, <laughs> both diagnose you as having FH and to you know give you a statin right away. Well, uh, I not only track these people, I encourage them to get uh, carotid intermediate media tests. I encourage them to get calcium scores, and I want to observe their data over time. But I can tell you. A lot of doctors have privately shared their uh, cholesterol numbers with me and some of their own tests of their own, and I, I'm actually quite amazed at just how good things like the CINTs have been looking. One of one of the first articles I read was by uh, um, I was his nickname's Rocky, but it's uh, Patel, and he did um, an article going back to 2012, and he was on a low carb diet had super high LDLP, but saw his CIMT thickness drop, not increase as you would expect that it would with somebody who's apparently increasing their atherosclerosis. Mm -hmm. And right now my CIMT seems to be following the same pattern. The last one I got, both my left and right, were at the lowest thin, lowest thickness they've ever been at. Now that's just just four data points up to this point. I'd kind of like to have 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm getting it every six months, so I'm getting another one next month. We'll see how it's going. But mm-hmm. regardless, it's not skyrocketing, which you would expect would be happening if my LDL cholesterol had been running at, say, 270 this mm-hmm. whole time. Through concentration, I can raise and lower my cholesterol at well.
1: You've done definitely done a lot of uh, different experiments I've seen online. Uh, in regards not not only cholesterol but overall biomarkers. So you've also created uh, your own uh, Feldman protocol, <laughs> the cholesterol code. So can you talk about what it is and uh, what does it measure? Or what does it show? sure
0: so so the very first public presentation of my data, um, I wrapped this experiment around it where I dropped my LDL cholesterol by seventy three milligrams per deciliter. I dropped my LDLP, the particle count by. Um, thousand one hundred fifteen. Wow. Uh, my HDL went up. My, my triglycerides dropped, That's and good. I did that while eating around five thousand calories a day, um, <laughs> about four hundred sixty grams of fat,
1: Whoa.
0: for which around two hundred seventy was saturated fat. <laughs> um, now, and after I did that, because. That was on, uh, the presentation I was going to be doing was on October 9th of 2016. I had, like, had low calorie of a cell ketogenic ratio up until October 7th, which was two days before the presentation. Mm -hmm. I took a picture of myself, waving to the camera as I'm getting my blood drawn. And then I started ramping up my calories like crazy and then had a slide of me in that picture with another slide next to it that was a silhouette of me. Mm-hmm. for what would be the test to take place one day later, on October 10th. And I said, I bet my reputation, everything, that you're watching my LDL cholesterol plummet right now. And this was especially fun because at the conference, everybody can see my behavior. I'm just chowing down on fatty foods like crazy <laughs> throughout the conference. right? And uh, I, I, sure enough, saw the, the changes that we just talked about and after I did that, a lot of people were saying, "Could you tell me how to do this? I would like to do this to, you know, for the next time that I go in to see the doctor and so forth." And so I wrote it up as a protocol. It's at uh, cholesterolcode.com, um, and you could just look at the page for the Feldman protocol. But the gist is, like what I did, you want to have a lot of fatty foods, um, particularly, you know, if you're staying on a ketogenic ratio. I will say this: all of my data is from people who already were on a low-carb, ketogenic diet, so I don't actually know if this applies the same way to those people who are not. There's just not enough data yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said, uh, you do want to be, be mindful of a few things that have come up as confounders. One, um, I recommend everybody avoid uh, MCT oil. I recommend everybody avoid coconut oil. Both of those get metabolized differently overall. Um, and finally, another one that kind of popped up on the radar that appears to be a big confounder is coffee. Okay. Uh, apparently, coffee can activate more like than intended and uh, has been a confounder with the uh, with the protocol. It's been a very common denominator and a lot of people not getting the results that they want. We find out that's coffee, we tell them to try to do the test without the coffee and most of the time it comes out better for them after that. Hmm. Um, so. That's that's made it to where I really want to emphasize for those people who consider doing the, the protocol to do that. Finally, everybody has to be sure that they water fast only for 12 to 14 hours from the last meal that they had from the night before to the blood test that they had the morning after. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to water fast only so that you can be sure you've cleared out all the chylomicrons. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's it. I mean, that's basically the uh, protocol in a nutshell.
1: Mm. So basically, like, first you eight very low calorie keto meals for for three days then you took your blood test and then you started ramping up you did pa- practically the opposite of what uh, conventional medical wisdom is telling us and you ate a lot of saturated fat and cholesterol and you saw your uh serum blood cholesterol levels to drop significantly
0: why would you want to raise your cholesterol
1: so i can lower it so like a uh, woods what did you actually eat on those days? Like, uh, Can you give some examples of the foods?
0: Uh, sure. Well, I had a lot of fatty cheeses, um, a lot of fatty meats, of course. Uh, <laughs> there were some like Nathan's Skinless Hot Dogs hmm. that are really fatty. I had some of those. I had some Adapt Meal. Uh, this is from the Adapt Your Life people um, with some heavy whipping cream. I did have some fat shakes uh, where it's, heavy whipping cream mixed with uh, unsweetened cocoa powder mixed with some stevia. Mm. Uh, and I have another thing that I make, um, uh, my pizza. There's a pizza that I make with, um, the crust is made of psyllium husk, mm. cream cheese, and eggs. Wow. And it actually makes a very crust-like. It's, it's surprisingly oh, nice. good as uh, and uh, of course that topped with uh, tons of cheese, yeah. um, uh, both um, cheddar and uh, a lot of parmesan. I just mm. doused it with a lot of parmesan, and then yeah, I I really ramped up between pretty much I would say the vast majority that was meat and cheese wow. were my primary sources of fat.
1: Like how much protein or carbs did you consume? What are the macronutrient Do you know?
0: Um, I can look. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Everything one of the, uh,
0: the yeah, One of the advantages of uh, being able to have all your your data on hand. Uh, and if I go back over to here, and come back up to here. So it appeared as though my carbs were hovering at around net carbs average from ten. Seven to then, I want to say the average is about thirty point eight net carbs. Mm -hmm. Um, The average on the fat, yep, four hundred (laughs) fifty-seven point (laughs) two. Wow. The protein, I was averaging around one hundred eighty-eight grams of protein.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah, like it's 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 surprising because yeah.
0: I was just going to say it does not surprise me because it's, I got you know, it's kind of hard to have that much fat without having the protein unless you're yeah. having just oils. Yeah. yeah. I whipping cream.
1: Yeah. How did it affect your ketone levels? Like a lot of people are very uh, you know, conservative about protein and uh, carbs, especially if they're doing keto and they're worrying about it's going to knock them out of ketosis or so how did it affect you? Uh,
0: so it did drop my ketone. So d- during the period of time where I was very low calorie, My ketones came up to 3.7 or 4. I think 4 was on the last day. Mm -hmm. And then it quickly dropped uh, down to 1.4, 1.1, 0.8, 0.4, 0.6 in the five days in which I really ramped up the calories. Mm -hmm. Now, this could be due to the amount of protein, but it also could just be due to the sheer volume of calories um, and the need to provide uh, the, those level of ketones, because I don't actually, here's a frustration I have with the keto community in general. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they seem to treat ketones differently than we would treat triglycerides and glucose. Both All three are energy substrates, right? So that the issue is that if you have tons of glucose in your body, that's not considered a good thing. Mm-hmm. If you have tons of triglycerides in your body, that's not considered a good thing. Well, low, if you have tons of ketones in your body, you're doing great, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't, a, a blood test is a measurement of what is in transit and not yet in use. I mean, speaking engineer to engineer, you're capturing something that's in, in the process of moving, but it doesn't necessarily say what's hitting the exits and at what speed, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So, the actual cellular uptake for lean mass hyperresponders is one of my favorite examples. They tend to have high LDL, but I'm pretty confident that they have high triglyceride usage because their triglycerides are very low and they have high LDL. So, I feel very confident that they have a higher total secretion of VLDLs mm-hmm. that are carrying the triglycerides and successfully dropping it off and then having resulting LDLs. That's why I, that's why I love about lipids they kind of show a little more of a trail. Mm. But okay, okay, their ketones also tend to be lower than those of their cohorts that are sedentary. So an athletic keto uh, person tends to just complain a lot because their couch potato buddy yeah. has, you know, has a, a BHB of 3.0 and they're just, you know, they never seem to get to 0.7. Right? right or 0.8. But I would insist to that athletic ketoer. I'm like, you may actually be using more ketones than your couch potato buddy. Mm-hmm. Your couch right. potato buddy may just have more sitting in his bloodstream that's right, not being right. taken up by the cells, right? Yeah. So until until we can get nano cameras plugged into your mitochondria, you actually mm-hmm. can see the throughput. Mm-hmm. You really, you really don't know. And frankly, I have a lot of reason to believe that it actually is you're you're utilizing more of it now that. The best way to really look, and it's one of the things I want to experiment with next, is with um, a respiratory uh machine. That That's fantastic because you're capturing actual cellular respiration. Right. You're, you're ca- so if you're burning fat, by golly, you have an aggregate of all the cells together in one big exhale coming through on the other side, right? If you're burning a lot more glucose, that too will show at the other end of the spectrum. And I'd be willing to bet lean mass hyper responders are gonna be very tightly over on the other side of of fat burning, even with having lower blood ketone levels. Mm. So, I say this because when we're talking about, you know, did my ketones go lower or higher, I don't even hardly care. (laughs) Like I measure it as part of my swath of different things I'm measuring, and I am curious as to what triggers it going up and down but I feel like I'm only seeing one very small part of a much larger equation where the thing I really care about is not in view. I just can't, I don't know. There's no way to know. Uh, An RQ machine will, will change that. Then I'll actually have a lot more in view. I'll be able to know a lot more. And it stands to reason that if BHB levels, ketone levels that you get from a blood strip, if they really did indicate ketosis, then they should correlate with the RQ. Then your your respiratory quotient would show more and more fat burning mm. as your BHB levels go higher. And mm. I predict that that's not going to be the case. I predict that's that true. you're, yeah. you're going to find people who are athletic who mm. have low blood ketones, BHB, beta-hydroxybutyrate, but a high RQ – actually, sorry, technically a low RQ because it's mm. supposed to go 1.0 to uh, 0.7. But that – Basically, they will show on the RT machine that they're burning fat like crazy.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you in this regard as well, like that uh, people who do the keto diet, they're getting obsessed with the numbers and the ketones. And yeah, like you mentioned, ketones are a source of energy like any other and higher levels of ketones isn't, isn't, isn't indicative of metabolic health or that you're burning more fat. It actually may mean the opposite. And yeah, if you have lower levels of ketones, then you're simply burning, you're more efficiently burning them off. Rather than flooding them in the bloodstream, so yeah, like, uh, you, have you tried the breath meter, the uh, that measures acetone?
0: Yeah, uh, ketones. Um, yeah, I, I actually have one.
1: Oh, yeah. So that would be like a more more accurate way of knowing uh, how you're using those ketones. So, but
0: I think it I think it is that my only challenge with using the the breath meters is because as you could probably figure out, I I really like accuracy a lot, and as far as sort of generally knowing if I'm in ketosis or not, I feel like it meets that. But The downside is, is I can't get an exact measurement of the acetone. Your, mm. um, your when you breathe it out, it's a little heavier in the lungs, so it's like a little lower. So you have to breathe out in a way that's extremely consistent and pulls out as much as possible. Right. But I don't have I don't have a lot of confidence that that's going to be a very uh, consistent number. Mm. Um, because I can't count on my own ability to breathe in such a consistent way. If that makes sense, mm, yeah. um, I, it could be from one morning to the next. You know, my pace and rate is going to be different, um, and so this is where I kind of I, I keep coming back to the RQ machine is probably the thing I'm going to be the most interested in.
1: <laughs> yeah, but and also like it comes to show that ketosis itself may not be the goal. You, you like the goal is to actually uh, be be efficient with uh, the of uh, converting those triglycerides and transporting them into this and burning them off for energy rather than uh, flooding them in the bloodstream. And like, there's a difference between being in ketosis and being keto adapted of, uh, you know, having higher levels of uh, ketones and fat in the bloodstream versus burning them off. And uh, I've, I've definitely... Absolutely. Most, yeah. Like, and I've also noticed myself that after, you know, several years, I don't get that high blood ketone readings either. Uh, unless i'm fasting for like many several days in a row then i do my you know experience higher levels so like have you and again
0: it could just be overage it really yeah. could just be a, a larger amount that's parked in the blood that's mm. getting um drawn down on at a slower rate it could be right. just that simple and i i honestly think it is right i think i think when you're for the same reason that when you're fasting your triglycerides will go up right so your your supply starts to exceed your usage relative to before, right? And therefore, you have more energy that's that's in your bloodstream because your system's trying to catch up with your pacing, right? You're you've all of a sudden said, hey, um, now I'm just going to totally fast, and we're not gonna have any food for a while, and your body was already on this other plan, and it goes, oh, oh, okay, and it's trying to adjust, and your body's actually really good at doing it. It's surprisingly good still regulating it so effectively in spite of having so little knowledge to work with well wow. right uh but so, that's so, that this okay
1: so you're like seeing that the while you're fasting your body actually has more energy you know it has access to more energy than if you were to eat in a <laughs> in a, in a, in second, a roundabout yeah. yeah in a
0: roundabout way it's it's kind of there's a there's an analogy I like to use and I try to really push it a lot is you want to quit thinking of your body as like a diner. It's not like your cells special order energy uh, because you have a hundred trillion cells. Mm -hmm. So that's a hundred trillion customers. Your body cannot possibly take a special order from each one of them and say, Hey, I want this energy today or something, or some of them are hungry. Some of them aren't that kind of thing. No, when your body is running as a buffet, Mm. And a buffet is about having energy available on demand. And that's easier to run from a restaurant perspective because what you're doing is is you're just're you're just watching you're just watching the line as it's called. You're watching you know, what's getting taken, what isn't, and then just replenishing what that is. Mm. And so sometimes you're gonna get a little ahead of it. Sometimes you're gonna get behind it. Oh, it looks like a lot of the green beans are going fast. Okay, we're gonna have to try to cook to make up the difference. Oh, it looks like nobody's touching the fried chicken. Um, right. Okay, slow, slow down on cooking those as fast as you are, right? That's effectively what the body the body's job is to make sure all the cells have energy when they want to get it. Hmm. And they have lots of different routes to get it, but the most common one is going to be the bloodstream, right? And if they, if they need to, they need to be sure that they always have the energy in the blood. That's why if you don't have any glucose in the bloodstream... You're in deep trouble, right? <laughs> um, but what's neat is that fat is actually a little more elegant in that regard uh, because it doesn't – those triglycerides represent so many ATP, each single one of them. Mm. is A single triglyceride is three long-chain fatty acids, right? And you, you actually you – can they yield, I think, something like 100 to 110 ATP on average or something along those lines. They're different from one to the really? next. But each of those VLDLs, when they leave your liver, they have 2,500 of these triglycerides. <laughs> 2,500. Each of these triglycerides having three long-chain fatty acids, right? And if, if you don't mind me blowing you away just a little bit further, <laughs> LDL particles LDL particles are measured in nanomoles, which are quintillions. Whoa. And quint- a quintillion is a million trillions, <laughs> right?
1: How many zeros is that?
0: That's uh, 18 zeros.
1: Whoa, that's crazy.
0: So when I'm looking at a blood test and I'm seeing my triglycerides are low, but I'm seeing my LDL particles are high and I know they're measured in animals, <laughs> right? I'm confident that getting back to the buffet, my cells are pulling a lot off that buffet.
1: Mm, right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> a lot, right? And that, and this isn't just this isn't just uh, you know muscle tissue. The the majority of the fatty acids going into your bloodstream are being um, ultimately picked up by adipose tissue, your your body fat, mm-hmm. right? But your, your like your heart, your cardiac tissue that has first crack at it, they have first dibs and so forth. Um, they're the the affinity level of uh, muscles is, hey, if they want the energy, they're going to get it. Mm. But hey, what's what's left over, your adipose tissue is supposed to grab. That will grab so many of these, and it's it's amazing the amount of work it yeah, puts yeah. into pulling pulling the triglycerides apart, reconstructing them back inside the uh, adipose sites, and then hanging on it, and then over the course of the day when you're fasted, in between meals and overnight, they're slowly releasing them through you know, lipolysis to keep that buffet line stocked. So right. there's always those fatty acids available on demand, right? right, right. And when you, when you start thinking about things like this, this way, then it makes a lot more sense as to why there might be a higher bioavailability of these VLDLs if you're powered more by fat because your body doesn't mind if there's a lot of LDL particles. Mm-hmm. It minds that there's a lot of VLDO particles if the cells need it. And therefore, their successor of being LDL particles is kind of a second thought.
1: Mm. Wow, yeah. It's, it's yeah, quite crazy to think like that this one single triglyceride molecule, it's jam-packed with all these nutrients and so much energy that your body can use. And also like the glycerol that's inside triglycerides that can also be converted to glucose and that can give you yeah. like that can give you like the small amount of glucose your brain and heart needs. So yeah, you practically can live off your own body fat for quite a long time. <laughs> and uh, oh, for and like, sure, yeah. Like and it and it has a ton of more energy per calorie, and p- then you know regular carbohydrates or glucose as well. So it's really a magnificent system of how your body has been able to, you know, come up with a strategy of you know surviving these kinds of situations of. Uh, not getting enough calories from food.
0: Yeah, I'm watching my cholesterol. It's going to go
1: well. But uh, let, coming back to the uh, Feldman protocol, like, uh, how have you noticed of how exercising during that period, how, how has that changed uh, the cholesterol results?
0: So generally speaking, for everybody who does it, they tend to already be somebody who exercises a lot or they aren't. Uh, there aren't a lot of people who've done the protocol who specifically tried to do exercising in the middle of it that they wouldn't have otherwise done Mm -hmm. so the number change and that's usually how i want it to be i i don't i don't want to introduce another confounding variable if i can help it that said uh i would i would recommend that people not do exercise unless it was like maybe strength training or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Um, and this goes back to, I have another blog post on this, which I want to say is the impact of endurance running. Um, if you look it up, but effectively I tried to remain as sedentary as possible through the first phase of my research, because I knew the phase that was going to come into where I did distance running. Mm-hmm. Um, it would probably impact my lipid numbers. And I turned out to be right about that in particular when I had a, uh, to do a lot of cellular repair. So I did a cold open to my running season where I was supposed to have been training for three months but I started six weeks in and then ended up doing like a seven mile run on my first Sunday long run. And sure enough, I was extremely sore following that. But being mindful of the data, I made sure to get a um, cholesterol test, I want to say within a day or two of it, and. Not at all to my surprise, my LDLC and my LDLP were lower than I would have expected it to be given the inversion pattern,
1: mm-hmm. and I
0: believe that they were lower because there was more uh, cell- cellular repair through endocytosis. They were they were actually engulfing the LDL particles, which is again part of their purpose to either help to grow cells or to um, to help repair them. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that removed more of them from the bloodstream in the aggregate. And therefore, I ended up. I ended up with a lower LDL, LDLC, and a lower LDLP. And also, this happened at the very end when I ran a full marathon um, after a weekend of also having. Um, I think I had a half marathon the day before and a full <laughs> marathon the day after, uh, and it was hell. And I was really just wiped out. <laughs> uh, but sure enough, the uh, the cholesterol test I did the morning after also had a huge, pronounced gap. From where I would have expected it to be, mm. given the foods I ate and so forth. Um, so you can exercise during the protocol, and probably I would guess probably if you're if you are making yourself sore, if you're causing um, tissue damage, it may lower your LDLC LDLP more. Mm. Uh, but it is still somewhat theoretical, and I don't I don't know that I vouch for that just yet until I have more data.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like running those marathons, that probably caused uh, an additional source of you know inflammation and uh, oxidative stress, which itself might have you know have some sort of would it have like a, if you do this very uh, glycolytic exercises, for instance, or if you are tearing down a lot of muscle tissue, then uh, would that have a, like a negative effect on uh, on the cholesterol levels or triglycerides?
0: Uh, so, and again, this is where. I almost want to say from my standpoint, it's neither positive nor negative okay. from a conventional doctor's perspective. It would look positive because LDL-C and LDL-P would have dropped. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because conventional doctors aren't as up on lipidology. And for that matter, I'm not even sure if lipidologists really know what I'm telling you now. I don't, or or at least that it's conventional knowledge mm-hmm. that if you were to, um, and it may, in fact, be uh, large-scale endocytosis that may be bringing down the total LDLC, LDLP. I do don't know because I haven't looked into a lot of the studies on it.
1: Right, right. Yeah, and it probably varies between people who are, like like you mentioned, these uh, uh, lean mass hyper-responders and uh, sedentary people as well. So like, how? So, so a person would s- want to strive towards becoming a lean mass hyper-responder or what would you say? Is it, is it like the... Uh,
0: so I'm, I'm literally giving a talk on this in June at KetoCon called "A Lean Mass Hyperresponder." No, "Lean Mass Hyperresponder: A Superior Metabolic Profile." Question mark. Mm-hmm. And I theorize, me personally, this is just again can't emphasize enough. Just a personal theory. I believe that if uh, I'm right about a number of things that are mechanistic about the body. In particular with the lipid system, that actually a lean mass hyperresponder may be a superior profile, that they actually may be enjoying a higher level of natural autophagy, mm. um, that, they're, that they are in kind of a blended fasted state,, wow. more relative to somebody who's not uh, a lean mass hyperresponder, and therefore may actually be aging a little less wow. uh, than the rest of us. Yeah, it is. It's, but it's, but again, I'm just following where the data is taking me, and I'm following where the mechanistic theory seems to keep getting more and more validating information up to this point. That's why I proactively try to find ways to to get my black swan to you know bust mm-hmm. my theory down. Uh, but that's that's where that um, that's where that original graphic came from that I made, where I basically challenged people. I call it the low carb cholesterol challenge to give me one study, just one study, just one, where people who have high levels of LDL cholesterol see high rates of cardiovascular disease if their HDL is high and their triglycerides are low. Hmm. The the one catch is is they cannot use um, drug or gene studies. Because the drug or gene studies, unfortunately, are subject to a lot of selective bias. That's the one downside. So if you've got any general population, any study, anything, that's going to find me a group of people that have high HDL and low triglycerides because I believe the high HDL and low triglycerides are indicative of a metabolically working uh, fat-centric system.
1: Wow, Wow, that's crazy. And right? Yeah,
0: that, yeah and, I, and I'm telling you, I now have what around 11,000 followers, and certainly a number of people who are low, who are lipid-lowering advocates mm. who I've reached out to. Uh, you know the Daryl Francis's and the um, uh, um, Paulie's and the Brad Dieters and the um, even um, Thomas Dayspring. Mm-hmm. I pinged all of them, and I've been like, "Help me out here! You know, help me, help me, help me find the black swan that can help to um, help to give evidence against this theory." And nobody's been able to come up with one—not one study. And the mm-hmm. only study that I've been able to find that stratifies those three uh, HDL triglycerides and LDL and not use people who are on lipid lowering drugs or gene therapy is the Framingham offspring study. And I had this in my presentation recently. And unfortunately it validates uh, what I'm saying even more. It's showing that uh, those people are not suffering from high rates of cardiovascular disease, which you would expect would be true if high levels of LDL cholesterol all by itself was deleterious.
1: Wow. Yeah. So like, uh, to, to kind of give some sort of advice to people would be like or not advice or the uh, underlying principle is that you you won't want to have you won't want to promote a fat burning metabolism that's based on uh, utilizing your own uh, endogenous fat stores more efficiently and uh, that's going to you know boost uh, these anti-inflammatory properties and autophagy and uh, maintaining a generally, uh, active lifestyle in general to you know be this kind of a lean hype, lean uh, mass responder to cholesterol. so yeah that's kind of very very interesting and definitely looking forward to your presentation. but uh, let's let's say like uh, for someone who is listening to this podcast and uh, they they're gonna go now to their doctor and they're gonna see that their their lab results show high levels of cholesterol. How should they approach uh, you know their health based on what we've been talking about here? Should they start lowering cholesterol with statins, or should they go on a keto diet, or should they actually go through the Feldman protocol? What, what what should they do?
0: Well, I try to emphasize that I don't. I, I actually try to avoid even telling people what they should or shouldn't do, um, even in the general in the general sense. I try to do my best to provide research and evidence and explain what I would do. So, me personally, if I could, I would just. If I weren't doing my research right now, I would probably go ahead and just be a lean mass hyper-responder if I could. Mm-hmm. Um, I, would, I would be exercising a lot more. I would get to those points. And probably I would see my LDLC uh, be up there at around, like, I think my average when I started out was around 270. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it went to 300, if it went to 400, it actually probably wouldn't bother me so long as my HDL was very high and my triglycerides were very low. Um, that's just me speaking for myself. For people who see themselves in the same situation, and particularly when their doctor is not too happy about it, there's really kind of two things that I would say that I would do in the situation. First of all, if you have a doctor who's not especially open to new information, they say, look, this is how I understand cholesterol to be, and nothing that you show me is going to change my mind. Um, I would say that for me personally, that would be a reason to move on. Because it, it suggests at a minimum, they're not going to be receptive to right. new evidence. Right. Um, because at a minimum, it's not it's not that I want to, um, it's not that I want to say my research is the end all be all, but at a, a bare minimum, it has exposed something that so many doctors, I've talked to probably around 80 GPs since I started my uh, okay. research, uh, they do just don't even realize that cholesterol can't change that much, right. that quickly. And for 90% of them, it's striking. For 90% of them, it's, it's well, okay, but I still think that you should probably take a satin. Like, God bless them, right? That's that's what they've been trained to do, and they're not at a stage typically. Many of them are not at a stage in their life to take on a new paradigm shift. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of them would say, and this is a fair statement. A lot of them would say, hey, I put my license at risk if I don't prescribe you a statin. Mm-hmm. If, I, mm-hmm. if I don't take action, because you could come back with a lawyer a little bit later. You could even be completely right. Right. But you could come back with a lawyer a little bit later and say, this doctor didn't follow the guidelines. He saw that my LDL cholesterol was very high, yeah. and he didn't recommend that I go on a statin drug. Right. right.
1: Yeah, and it you know, is. It is like uh, a lot of those doctors. They may actually eat a low-carb, high-fat diet themselves, but they wouldn't want to prescribe it to their patients because yeah, it's going to. Who knows what's going to happen? And uh, if, they, if the if pers- the if the patient is going to get worse because of that, then it's, it's their fault in a sense, but uh, because they didn't follow the guided uh, recommendations. So it's crazy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I would say there's probably a good. Um, I want to guesstimate maybe about a dozen and a half doctors that I've talked to at conferences, who are not on the fence about the diet for themselves. They themselves eat low carb, high fat, but don't pers- don't even offer it up too much to their patients. They're they're sort of feeling out the water and going to these conferences to find out what they could say in order to help patients out, and not and they're they're genuinely worried because especially here in the States. It's very litigious. Um, they could get sued. They could lose their license. It's all, it's all a very real fear because mm. there's a paradigm built around cholesterol equals mortality. Yeah. And if your cholesterol is high and you're not taking steps to do something about it, then you're, then it's malpractice. You know, right. you're doing what's clearly presumed to be established fact mm. that not taking steps to lower the cholesterol is going to put the uh, patient's life in peril.
1: So how would you uh, go about using your research and uh, your protocol to, you know, change that paradigm?
0: Well, certainly, certainly a number of people have done it to get their doctor off their back. Um, yeah. A number of people have been like, okay, give me, give me a, a few months and then I'll come back with a better uh, lipid score to show that I'm making lifestyle changes that will show that I have better cholesterol. The mm-hmm. doctor like, you know, grumbles and then a lot of them do that. And then they share that story on the blog where, yeah, yeah. So I came back, I was able to drop my LDL by, you know, 30 points or 40 points or whatever. And uh, the doctor's like, okay, well, so keep it up, you know. And so and from their perspective, it's kind of like stalling them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I, I do want to make a pitch for low-carb doctors that are in your area that should have your business If your doctor is not receptive to new information about cholesterol, and particularly if they're not very receptive about the low-carb diet, um, I I would encourage people to take the time to find any other low-carb doctors in their area and to, you know, give them more business. Give the low-carb movement and medical professionals that work in it more business because, they're looking, they're going to be more mindful of the very lifestyle that you're taking a part in. And they're probably going to have a lot better advice for you because they're becoming experts in that area.
1: Hmm. Awesome. Yeah, like totally, like definitely people have to educate themselves about it as well. Because yeah, you you can't simply, because there are many ways you can do low carb and not all of them can uh, result in, you know, better health. You you can actually screw things up in a sense and uh, actually worsen your health. But uh, what... I, and let me actually let me actually add to that real quick. Uh,
0: I, a good example is electrolytes. I find that a lot of people jump into low carb and they don't learn how important it is to be mindful of your electrolytes. Yeah. Uh, the reason I especially want to bring this up is because it's been a struggle of mine through a lot of the low carb lifestyle. Is I found out over lots of trial and error, for as meticulous as I can be, it took me a while to figure it out, I need to have a large amount of salt. Mm. Yeah. Like they already, they already tell you, you know, Volokh and Finney will tell you and many others will tell you, you need to be sure to have a lot more sodium. And they suggest things like bullion to get it in there.
1: Yeah.
0: I need even more than the average keto, or I need probably close to nine to 10 grams Whoa. of salt a <laughs> wow. day. It's a lot, right? a lot, right? It's a huge amount, but it wasn't, it wasn't until I finally gave in to what my taste buds were telling me where I could keep salting things down and I kept going, that's probably too much salt. Mm. But I feel like I could eat more, mm. right? It wasn't until I finally was like, you know what, screw it. I'll just frost this, you know, <laughs> this uh, salmon. I'll put <laughs> yeah, huge amounts of salt on this, um, this ribeye and so forth. And it wasn't until I did that that I genuinely started feeling better. Mm. And uh, there's, there's some doctors who said to me that it could be that I actually have, um, that I'm actually working my way back from my long-term depletion. Wow. Um, and that might be why I need it at this level. I don't know. Crazy. Uh, regard, regardless, electrolytes are probably the most common blind spot I find with most people. Yeah. yeah and I, I shared know. my own story in order to kind of emphasize that is, is if you're feeling tired, if you're, especially if you're getting leg cramps, so forth, try to find things like, um, for example, I use, these guys aren't a sponsor by the way. I'm just showing you, uh, for example, I'll use these guys. Hmm. Um, I like them because they're sort of...
1: So it's like it's a blend. Potassium,
0: mag, Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's potassium, magnesium, and uh, Himalayan salt right. all in the same thing. So yeah. I, this is part of what I'm doing is I'm supplementing these on top of having lots of salt on my food. Yeah, And it works great. And I feel great, and I'm happy I'm doing it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like. I also like to add so. a ton of different kinds of salt as well. I, uh, sometimes when I'm, for instance... During my fasting window, for instance, and then I'll be consuming like these salt flakes crystal salt flakes that you can actually chew on and <laughs> Those things are delicious and you kind of develop a taste preference for salty salty foods as well if you're on keto but uh, yeah. Let's start uh, wrapping things up as well. Like what are you eating at the moment on a daily basis? What's your what your like menu like?
0: Well, actually here's what's gonna get a little comical. I'm about to head into an experiment kind of where um, I'll, I'll be gaining weight. In fact, I already am in the process of gaining weight. Um, I'm going to try to get over 200 pounds. Um, I'd like to even get back, <laughs> back. Uh, I would like to get to where I was pre-keto in order to test one part of my hypothesis, which is with a higher amount of body fat. So no, I'm not actually even trying to gain specifically muscle. I'm mm-hmm. trying to actually gain fat. <laughs> weight. This is this is this is how wonderful my wife is, by the way. Is that imagine imagine your significant other came to you and was like for science, you need to gain a lot more fat. Right. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> in the name of science.
0: Uh, yeah. So I'm I am in the process of doing that. I'll probably have um, I think in a few weeks' time I'll be hopefully north of two hundred pounds. How and much maybe a weigh, little right? bit more? Oh. Uh, I think I weighed this morning at one ninety-three.
1: Okay, okay. So how, how many calories would you be have to be consuming like to actually gain weight on keto? It's
0: it's not the nature it's it's not the calories themselves, it's the carbs. Oh um, so, so I'm adding in carbs. Oh right, right. To an extent I'm gonna try to keep it around I want to say 120 to 150 carbs right. a day, but on top of that, still having a lot of fat, mm. and I'm going to keep an eye on, um, I'm keep an eye on my lipids and my glucose to not get too out of control. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm fairly confident that I'll gain weight. i I've already done experiments where I've done uh, carb additions, and I did uh, the added sugar experiment recently. Where by the way, I gained some belly fat that 70 uh, percent went away right away after I went back to keto, but that other 30% took its sweet time going back down. I I really want to emphasize this for people who think that cheating for a little while isn't gonna have that much of an impact. Mm. I have hard data that it does.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people will probably, they can attest to that as well I can.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so so you know, just a, a little bit, will take a long time to unravel. So yeah. because of that, um, I'm using this uh, period that's coming up to intentionally kind of gain a little more weight before this uh, uh, new series of experiments where maybe be doing resistance training to test that endocytosis theory to see if that helps to remove it more. So it's gonna be getting out of shape and then getting into shape in the summer nice. uh, if everything goes as planned. So wow.
1: we'll see. Wow, yeah, that's definitely, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it's gonna be very interesting and definitely but like, it, but to yeah
0: but to your original question if i were just eating what i normally like to eat it'd be lots of meats lots of cheeses yeah. um i i particularly like i particularly love red meat um <laughs> steaks burgers i feel like i could just eat it like almost every meal hmm. um and i may end up doing that soon because i'll probably be doing a carnivore experiment right. in the near future
1: yeah so. it kind of wraps up most of the essential nutrients your body actually needs in this piece of uh, steak or maybe like tenderloin or something but uh, yeah. wh- where can people learn more about the, your this future experiment your other and your other uh, research
0: uh, of course the blog uh, cholesterolcode.com um, I'm also fairly active on Twitter so you can also typically tweet at me at Keto, Keto sorry Dave Keto hmm. um, and those I, and getting more and more to where I'm kind of consolidating to those two channels of communication. I have some presence on Facebook, but not as much anymore. Uh, there's just there's too much that's going on anymore on the blog and on Twitter that uh, called my attention on top of just a lot with email. Yeah. So it's I'm getting a lot more stretched these days, but hopefully that will mm. get a little bit better you, as I consolidate.
1: You also have a Patreon account, right?
0: Uh, yes, uh, people are welcome to come to... The, my Patreon account is patreoncom slash oh
1: Awesome, awesome. And uh, my last my last question would be like, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit that you wish you adopted earlier that uh, improved your body and your mind?
0: Going keto. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I wish that I, I wish that I'd done it earlier, like in my twenties or thirties. But it wasn't really that big then. Wow. Uh, but knowing knowing what I know now, I I absolutely because it would have been a lot better for my organs especially my uh my kidney uh, or sorry uh for my liver for a lot longer time because i feel like the lifestyle that i had before this point was probably a lot tougher on it
1: wow yeah yeah i definitely agree with you as well like uh, if, if, like the general trend is that the, the, as you age you're gonna lose your insulin sensitivity and your overall biomarkers are gonna also decrease. So if you if you start to pay attention to you know insulin and blood glucose, whether through eating keto or with fasting, then uh, yeah you're gonna drastically start improving your overall health even even to the point of you know older age, you're gonna start you know preventing aging as you're already younger. So that's definitely something uh, I wish people would uh, also adopt into their mind. But yeah, right. thanks, thanks, Dave, for coming on to the show. I'm Definitely loving your research and uh, had an amazing talk with you. I learned a ton. And uh, definitely looking forward to your future projects.
0: Likewise. Thanks for having me on.
1: All right. Thanks.
0: While well, it has been established that eggs contain cholesterol, it has not yet been proven conclusively that they actually raised the level of serum cholesterol in the human bloodstream.
1: For this episode, make sure you leave us a review on iTunes and other social media platforms. And other than that, subscribe, click the like, notification bell as well, like always. Thanks for watching. My name is Seam. Stay optimal. Stay empowered.